Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Well, good, happy Sabbath to you. It is a delight to be here with you, and wouldn't you know it, I've been having, ever since the last update on my phone, I've been having some, some technical challenges and issues, and it looks like, I thought I had it all figured out, and maybe I do. We'll see if it sticks with it. Let's give it a go. All right, here we go. So what? This is our sermon series. We're into our next to last Sabbath. We, I see my students out here. I'm glad to see all these students that are here with us, but you know Thanksgiving comes and uh, they're back home to finish out the semester from home. So this Sabbath and next Sabbath, and we'll conclude our So What series. If you're new, if you're a guest, if you're online for the first time, let me just say, this whole notion, so what, it really has to do with that oft-expressed question. Okay, so Christianity, being a follower of Christ, what's the big deal about that? It sounds like just a convenient, wonderful little thing for you in your head, nice for you, but so what? Does it have anything to do with what's really going on in our world? In a, if, if you are a follower of Christ, but you're going through distress and difficulty, so what? thought this was supposed to be good for us. In the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of social unrest in the midst of all the kinds of issues that we experience the world wonders is there anything to this christianity so what and in the midst of that we've dug into the fruit of the spirit listed in galatians chapter 5 and today we today we talk about self-control <clears throat> at least i hope so we'll see how this is going i tell you what i'm going to do I'm going to abort mission because I can see that that's going to continue being a problem. Hang on with me. See if I can keep from pulling that out of its plug. And we'll go the hard way. I want to make a couple of things uh, known to you if you've gotten to this point without it before we dive into Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and this whole notion of self-control, and maybe if you're like me, you're kind of wishing we could skip on from the self-control conversation anyway, because that's not one. Let's go back to gentleness, how about, or uh, let's, let's go to kindness. Let's go, let's go somewhere else other than self-control, because it's not uh, one of my better qualities. Possibly you're thinking the same. We'll get back to it for a second, but um, I do appreciate that over the time of these last number of months, it has been a struggle for us to feel connection, and there's been a struggle for us to feel normalcy. There's been a struggle for us to participate, find all the right ways that we would like to participate in what God is up to, but he's not shut down. He's not in a closet somewhere. God is moving, and there are some things I want you to know about. Uh, firstly, uh, two different things that you could participate in that you, you might want to know about. Today, in our parking lot, if you came through the upper parking lot, you noticed the Blood Assurance Blood Mobile is in our parking lot. And as you leave today, there still would be time. There's still a couple of slots left if you would like to participate in giving blood today. Uh, this is an act of service and ministry. If you're in the medical community, you know it. Uh, but we hear from others that this has been a difficult time for blood drives and being able to have the blood that our community needs 
and so I encourage you to consider serving in that way. Another way you could pray about and consider serving, this is, I'm giving you just a little tip for next week. When you come next week, you'll see something that if you've been around before in November, it will be familiar to you, but maybe you got here somehow back and forth and missed it. That is our campus ministries uh, leaders Think this time of year, especially about our student missionaries, our task force workers. You might have thought that there are no student missionaries going out around the, the globe this particular year. There are fewer, but they are out there serving God. Our students from our university traveling abroad or across our country serving for a year. And uh, anybody here been a student missionary or a task force worker? If you're a student missionary, especially somewhere where you couldn't come home at the holidays, I was. I was in the Marshall Islands, and boy, about Thanksgiving time, it really started to get me. Because I, I just felt like a little bit of homesickness, and, and then a package would come from home, and my heart would be lifted. And so our campus ministry staff has decided we're going to keep doing this, packaging up kind of uh, boxes filled with goodies from home, and what we're going to get to do is claim one of those boxes, take it to the, to the postal service, and basically pay for the shipping of that. So we participate in that process. A couple different price ranges, that sort of thing. Pray over it. But you and I have the opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ and our family and our community carrying love and home all across the world to our student missionaries, our task force workers. So I encourage you to consider that next week as you arrive, you'll notice that opportunity as well. And finally, let me say this. We have been working hard to try to make available to our church family and guests, our students as you come, everything that we're used to doing together, but in kind of different and new ways. And it's a struggle. It's a little bit of a challenge. But we're making it, doctor. We're making it. One of the things we've noticed is whether it be our sound team, our live stream team, whether it be our greeting team, and we've added some new things up in our Sabbath schools for our children, almost everything that we're doing, because there are still some individuals that it might not be time yet for them to kind of come back and get involved in church, all of our volunteer groups need help. I'd like to invite you to pray about that. Pray that God moves and works on the hearts of the individuals that, that we need to be able to do this successfully, that we need to be able to, to emerge. And pray over whether God's calling you to something. In the midst of that, we've added our health screening booths to try to make sure that we can participate well with our university and our community. And so there are all sorts of opportunities. I was just so gratified this morning as I got here to Renewal, and I checked in, and a little bit later went back out, and I saw a young family, two little girls, helping take temperatures. That was so fantastic. And they were cheerful and wonderful, and their father said, this is the easiest time I've had getting them out of bed for church. Because they're serving, and they matter. Students, I know it's just one more week, but to come uh, to the service before you're planning on worshiping and to be a greeter and help people be accommodated and find their way. This is all service to God. I just invite you to pray over it. I invite you to pray over it, consider it as we move forward. All right, well, you've been acclimated to some of the needs that God has on his heart through our service and ministry here. Now I'd like to take you uh, back. I'd like to take you back a couple of years uh, a few years, really, till, to me as a young father, my wife and myself, and our three little children 
as we finished up a family worship, we would have prayed already, probably kneeling and huddled over one of our little Ottomans there in the living room, family room, and there we all are, the five of us, two little girls, a little boy, my wife and myself, and afterwards, we would often do either of two little kind of family chants, I guess is the best way to put it. Everybody puts our hands, and I'm seeing some nodding. You may have done this very same thing. One of the ones that we loved was everybody puts their hands in, and we grasp hands, and then we go, Abba, we belong to you, which of course over time, my children thought we were saying, Abba, we belong to you. They didn't know what we was, we got that straightened out. The other favorite was this one. Hands in. Ah, follow this verse with me. It's from Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And sometimes we would start kind of in a whisper. <laughs> All kinds of stuff you do with little children, right? Start in a whisper. All right, here we go. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And then it builds. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. One of the things I love about children, if it's going to build, it builds, right? The name of the Lord is a strong, the righteous run into it and are safe. Yeah! Today, with that outstretched hand somewhere your heart, I challenge you to hear the ever-building chant of the Holy Spirit. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Father, bless us. As we dig through your word, bless us. As we search through this almost troubling fruit of the Spirit, self-control, would you bless us? Thank you for bringing each one of us here for this time that we have, whether over the live stream airways. Lord God, thank you. Bless us today because of your spirit and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. And so this self-control. Um, one of the things that's interesting about the towers, the strong tower, often in ancient cities, before they would build the city, they would build the walls. If you don't build the walls first, it's not that big a deal to build the city because you'll be, you'll, be, uh, you'll be very vulnerable to those who would come and conquer you, to potentially wild, all kinds of things would be problematic and troubling. So you'd build the walls first before the cities. And in the really great cities, at the corners of the walls, there might be built with double thick walls and extra high towers, right? And if there'd be any vulnerability to the city, if you'd be under attack from without, that vantage point was extra Good, and so, by the way, some of the best soldiers in terms of archers and others would be there also. So this was just what a fantastically safe feeling you might have if there were ever trouble that you would run to the strong tower on the wall, right? If you get to the towers, and I'm not so sure there'd be enough space for everybody, but if you could get into the tower, then you'd be, you'd be safe. So 
the righteous run in and are safe. We've been talking about Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We'll read it again. You don't hardly need me to do that if you've been here because of our pace and cadence as we've gone along this fall. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here we are on the climactic word self-control here in Galatians chapter 5. Some of you are going, wait, I thought you said there was one more Sabbath, and there is because we saved the best to last. We saved the first to last. So next week we're into the subject of love. Today though, self-control. Self-control. As we get started with this whole idea of self-control, is there somebody that would say, you know, I'm I'm a specialist on the subjects of self-control. Is there somebody who would say, if if you've got to have an example, I wouldn't mind if you would just come up and we'll stand you here, the person who will be our self-control model, if that would be okay. Who would be willing to come? Are you, Juan Carlos, no, you don't have to. I'm just joking with you. On the subject of self-control, let me just say to you, I'm not so sure any of us have much space to brag. Some of us come from families that are highly responsible and have certain kinds of behaviors, and so we've got a nice kind of candy coating around our lives that allows us to act in ways that don't get anyone's attention, right? So we seem under control, but we know what it is from the inside out. Some of us, I mean, just we're not even bashful about it. Our life's a mess and we keep going back to the same problem and the same problem and the same problem and we have no self-control. For some of us, we're very controlled on certain issues and then there's that one. That one gets us every time. Self-control. What does it mean, actually, self-control? There are a couple of ways we could understand this. One would be this notion that, um, that you are controlling things that you are getting yourself to control things. You need to buckle down. You need to knuckle under. You need to kind of buck up. And it is a discipline that is up to you to put into play. There's another way to understand this, though, and that is the idea of yourself being put under control, and it may very well not be under your control even then. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes to us, he brings gifts into our lives, and then in Galatians chapter 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit's presence is a growing self-control, that he is growing control, growing self-control. The idea that you're going to be able to handle this on your own, I just want to suggest to you, this idea is nonsense. We are not capable of doing it ourselves, just like I'm not capable of growing an apple. I can be a participant in the process of cultivating an apple tree, of pruning an apple tree, of collecting the fruit from an apple tree, but I'm not growing the apples, just to be honest with you. We can talk about it kind of that way, but I am a participant in some miraculous thing that's going on that I can hardly explain. And even if you can explain it well, the doing of this is not yours. The doing of this, in this metaphor, is not yours either. I'd like to just take you to probably, a, I mean, if we were going to say, I kind of lured you, I almost got you to come up here and be our standing example of self-control, but we got you to control yourself and stay there. 
But if we were to pull somebody from scripture, maybe it would be Paul. Paul would argue, hey, I've been through this, I've been through this, I've been through this, I've been through this, I was taught by that, I was, I've gone through that. I've... Well, let's stand Paul here for a second in this space that none of us are quite courageous enough to stand in as the example of self-control and listen to his words as we go to the book of Romans, if you don't mind. I know, this is Romans chapter 7, you know this chapter, Romans chapter 7, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Okay, Paul, tell us about your capacity for self-control. This this ability of yours for self-control. Because we're talking about self-control today, we need a good model, so Paul, tell us about it. And Paul would say, I got nothing. I keep setting out. Does this sound familiar to you? I keep making resolutions. I keep asking for forgiveness. I keep setting my jaw and saying, not this time. I keep I keep trying and failing, and I feel, Paul would say, I feel a war going on inside myself that is out of control. Now, maybe somebody here, you've had a good day, you've had a good few days. Maybe there's a subject that you succeed on and people think you're self-controlled. I, I used to uh, be the youth director of the Pennsylvania Conference, and when I went to the office there, uh, they had a yearly group of people selected to be the social committee for the conference office. And the new guy almost always got on it. <clears throat> so I was the new guy, and so now I'm on the social committee, and we're planning a bunch of meals. Now, I, I have to just admit to you, I, am, I specialize in the consumption end of the food chain process. Not the preparation, the creation, and I mean, I could have thoughts and ideas about something that might be good for you to bring, but I don't. And so we would talk about it, and we had such fantastic cooks and individuals to add to the whole process that it didn't end up becoming a terrible thing. But one of the things that I noticed is that the, the, some of the individuals on the committee thought I had tremendous self-control because whenever they'd have these chocolate cakes, I just wouldn't participate in that. I, I would eat salad instead of cake. Self-control? No. See, I don't really prefer, I don't like chocolate all that much. Some of us are like that, right? We can look like we're under control, but it's just because the options that are present to us, we're not really into that one. A bunch of other people seem to stumble and fall on that one. That's not my thing. I don't struggle with self-control when it comes to smoking. I just don't. Not a problem for me. I sometimes control the facial expressions I have when somebody smokes near me, but I don't struggle with smoking in terms of self-control. I don't struggle with chocolate cake. I struggle with other things in terms of diet. It's just that I love salad. I grew up eating a lot of salad, so I love salad. So it wasn't I'm sitting there making a conscious kind of controlled decision. Sometimes we can fake our way through it. Paul says, down deep somewhere, you know it's true for you. There is an issue with you succumbing on the subject of self-control. 
Galatians chapter 5, we were in there just recently, but we'll back up to the 16th verse if you find your way back to this conversation as we get to these fruit of the Spirit. Notice the context. We've talked about it before. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, this thing he was talking about. Same writer, talking about just in Romans chapter 7. Live by the Spirit and self-control might actually happen. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that what you do not do, so that you do not do, sorry, what you want to do. So there's this, you feel it, right? There's this tension, there's this thing. I should be studying, but uh, I just got a text from my buddy who wonders if I join him in this online game. Oh, I, I really, I need to study, but I, whew, I'm just tired. I should go get some exercise, but I should go to bed now. But, well, that video's interesting. I should, I should, this war, this thing that happens, the thing that I, want to do and don't want to do, they're in a clash together in this whole self-control conversation. And by the way, then Paul will go on with this list prior to getting to the fruit of the Spirit, saying, hey, let's talk about what's naturally coming out of us. Here's our version of how we control ourselves. He'll go on in the 18th verse to introduce, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. And in the 19th verse, the acts of the sinful nature, here's your best version of trying to control what's going on. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, (laughs) strong words, idolatry and witchcraft. And by the way, think about the context of our communities right now and how many different ways Paul adds in here this next bit. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. He spends like this whole verse basically describing the current state that we live in in a bunch of different ways. He could have just said dissension. But no, he's going to go with some discord and some some jealousy and some hatred and some (laughs) factions and all sorts of... Why? Because that's our natural byproduct. That's me working out as hard as I can. Another place he would say, all your best attempts at self-control, all your righteousness, filthy, filthy rags. Whew. This is some rough stuff to have to deal with, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this. Another version will say, those who do this. And I I, I look at some of that, and though I can keep myself looking pretty clean for your eyes, I have to live and look at my life through my own thoughts and my own stuff in ways you don't. So I know about me what you don't know about me. So I read all these verses and all this stuff and I think to myself, I've done some of this. Yeah. So so those who do this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ah, understanding the Greek there that here is translated, those who live this way. There is an ongoing practice of this. In fact, I love the New American Standard, Standard Version which says it this way. 
that little section live like this. I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a little bit of good news in the midst of this whole issue of self-control. Because self-control sounds like it's something that would be very, very consistent. Never blowing it. Man, at some point you just throw up your hands. No, no, there's something to this idea of living this way, continually living like this, doing this repeatedly in an ongoing way, practicing. How many of you are basketball players? Anybody here like basketball, the game of basketball? All right, very good. Uh, I have uh, generally always had pretty good hand-eye coordination. When I was a real little guy, I was quick, but I was very, very thin. I dis didn't like the word skinny, but some people use such a word. I was very thin, and so I didn't have a really, you know, uh, the word guns was not a part of the vocabulary. I remember playing basketball and, and uh, having the hand-eye coordination, but not necessarily all the strength, and so I figured out that if I kind of, kind of got like this and just used the recoil of my whole body, I could shoot from further and further back, and so I got pretty good at putting some spin on the ball from about here. So if you can imagine me as a young guy, the launch point of this basketball shot was at about four feet, two inches, you know, somewhere in there, right? And I grew a little, so that moved to about five feet from where that shot would be taken from. By the way, I practiced, and I got good. Have you heard this expression? Practice makes what? And I practiced, and I practiced, and, and I would even, I mean, you know, if you, if you jump just right, you can actually go even further back, because you can just p push all of your energy into that shot further and further back. And then I got to high school, and I found that practice making perfect wasn't so perfect. Because now, launching a shot from about a five-foot launch point became a problem. Because other people were quick enough and they decided they were gonna to try to block that shot and it was a very easy shot to block. I can remember uh, Ron Redding, who is a member of ours here, who was the coach of my high school at that time, saying, Dave, you're gonna to need to change that. But I had practiced and I had perfected it. The problem is that it wasn't going to be actually perfect and in fact, Maybe the better expression of this is practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. Have you ever gotten a bad habit in something like a sport or a... Anybody, anybody here kind of master the hunt and peck typing method? And you can get perfect as good at the hunt and peck method as possible and yet you're gonna blow it out of the water if you learn to type correctly. Thank you. Even a slow typist will outperform the hunt and peck method. The problem is our behaviors, when repeated and repeated and repeated, become permanent. It was difficult for me to move my shot to overhead when I had spent that much time, especially, you know why? Especially because I had gotten good at making that other shot but it just wasn't going to be good enough. Now I had to break all this habit. And Paul says, 
You won't inherit the kingdom of God when your life is a practice of the best that sinful flesh can do. Being inheritors of the kingdom of God is about connection with Jesus Christ. He gives us his spirit bearing gifts that produce fruit and something shifts and changes and it's a miracle. It's an amazing thing but we're, we're going to get there. I want you to follow along with me if you don't mind with this notion. There's a passage, another passage uh, in Proverbs chapter 25 verse 28. We were talking about the city walls. I like this. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The idea is the walls are only good if the walls are complete, right? So you can have day after day after day of good, but self-control, keeping things in the right place, in the right way, which, by the way, a great definition of self-control is to refrain from some of what you or others might partake of, might get involved with. To be willing to be restrained and to refrain when you otherwise might participate. When you otherwise might go forward. And we practice and we practice and we practice and then we fall into these traps and difficulties. But the thing is, you know, a wall can be broken down either from the outside, being bashed by some flaming rock-throwing trebuchet from a distance, but it could also be broken down by the redistribution practices of our daily lives of taking a rock that should be on the wall and moving it little by little, the erosion of the wall. But here's the thing. Once the wall has a break in it, now things can come through and you're under attack from the inside out. And this is the problem of sin. This is the difficulty of our lack of self-control Sometimes we talk about it as if our big problem is the devil. I'm going to suggest to you one of your biggest problems, one of my biggest problems is what I look at in the mirror. Because the wall has been compromised. The wall of self-discipline. I wanted to get a little bit more concrete in this, and so I've been thinking about... um, with what we might talk about. You know, <clears throat> first of all, to be self-disciplined, to be um, under self-control, it has to start with your choice. Is that what you actually want, right? It's difficult enough when you don't, when you want it, to say nothing of when you don't want it. And the challenge comes that sin, by the way, sin always is presented with a promise. Anybody who suggests to you that sin doesn't have any allurement to it, there is no kind of benefit or energy or kind of quick payoff to it, they probably aren't paying attention, right? You've been in that situation where you're going to face embarrassment or you could lie. And the promise is if you lie, you won't face embarrassment. You've been possibly in the situation where he or she, they were willing to do it now, even though you know this shouldn't be now. 
to suggest that there's nothing that feels good about doing it now, that's just, you know, that's just not true. Sin always comes with a promise from the very first one. Eat it. You will not surely die. You will become like God's. So there are promises to the sin, and that's what presents to you in the moment where self-control, that rock wall starts to crumble as you start to kind of hear again. I mean, how many of you have been through the cycle? Making a commitment not to participate in this particular thing or action, but over time, the promise part of the sin starts to just scream so loudly in your life, and you can't help yourself. And, you, and immediately after you participate, you start to get all the blowback of, of, of feelings of guilt and shame and the negative part that wasn't being sung in the promise. It's like taking a drug that's supposed to fix something, but it, it, it either doesn't or it takes too long to or it has these inc- incredible side effects. How many of you are amused by what drug companies have to do in the midst of their lovely commercial walking through a field and then they have to tell you the side effects of the drug? They try to go in lower tones. and blah, 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 blah. I was reading on the internet, and I won't tell you the name of this drug just to avoid that distraction, but it is a drug that is commonly prescribed for mood disorders and so forth. And, and, it, and it, oh, this is good stuff. <clears throat> Here are some of the side effects. Here's paragraph one of the side effects. Side effects, dizziness, lightheadedness, drowsiness and trouble sleeping. That's when you know you got, a, you got a really good thing going is when the side effects can be completely opposite. Drowsiness and trouble sleeping. Okay. Nausea. Always good vomiting, tiredness, excess saliva, and in case that isn't uh, vivid enough for you, they added parenthetically drooling. (laughs) Blurred vision, weight gain, constipation, headaches. I mean, I'm imagining you going to a counter or to a doctor somewhere and saying, I'm looking for a great drug that's going to make me constipated and drooling, simultaneously sleepy, but I can't ever really sleep, possibly because of the vomiting, looking for something like that. And they say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. I've got something that not only does that, but get a load of this paragraph of continual side effects. Because they don't actually put this in the side effects paragraph. They just say, if this, by the way, happens, consult a physician. Fainting, mood changes, such as increased anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, trouble swallowing, (laughs) restlessness, especially in the legs, Shaking and tremors, muscle spasms, mask-like expression of the face. I'm not even sure what that means. Seizures, trouble controlling your urges such as gambling, sex, eating, or shopping. And then the possibility of interrupted breathing during sleep. (laughs) If by chance you can get to sleep. Itself on the quick hit benefit, on the flash in the pan moment, on the energy of that second, 
I defy anyone here to tell me about a habit, addiction, or difficulty you've been trying to break who doesn't describe it in its worst terms. Vomiting and constipation. And God says, I am hoping to give you, to give you a gift to bear fruit in you so that you don't have to live like this. So that you get to have life in a city with walls of safety. You see, sometimes we talk about it, sin, almost like freedom. That now we're free to be both drowsy and sleepless. That now I'm free to have headaches. I'm free to be depressed. I'm free to shop impulsively. And repulsively might work too. I'm free. Kind of like the idea of true freedom would be to live in a city with no walls. No, 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 not in a world in which we live. Living in a city with no walls is death itself. We must have the walls. So God says, I, I have a promise for you. If you will accept my spirit, if you will say yes to me, We'll begin changing this. We'll begin building the walls. It's not that you won't have a moment of relapse, a, a mistake needing repentance, but we're going to stop the practice of this and build up walls of self-control. I'd like to give you one example. And it's one that Paul really gets into in Galatians chapter 5, that middle section of the things he says. If you just live based on what you are able to create on your own, out of your own sinful nature, he goes through this kind of this sequence of items that make me think about our communities and our country today. Dissensions and factions and anger and backbiting and finger pointing and distrust and malignment and we could have used some other example but let's take a look for a second have you been in a conversation with somebody who was sharing with you their truth <laughs> I, I, I know it can mean so much more than this and on some level it's a perfectly appropriate kind of phrase but often I find us using my truth as a way to say well this is just what I believe and I don't care if it hurts you I need to live out my truth, the unadulterated thing from inside of me. No kind of brake pads on this, no self-control, no refraining from something that I otherwise was thinking, it just comes out. And in fact, the idea on the subject of anger is that if I don't do this, the bucket gets so full and it spoils inside of me, it's actually the healthiest thing for me to just throw anger out into the world. That's a very Freudian proposal that this catharsis of getting rid of your anger onto other people is actually what's healthiest for you. Do you know that sociologists, scientists, psychologists are saying that data study after study after study right now is proving this to be absolutely false? That in fact, it's not that we have this bucket in which anger starts to pile up and sooner or later it has to be emptied. In fact, it's much more like a factory that creates anger on demand. And the more we supply it, the greater the demand grows, the more we have to supply. So that my 
Flipping somebody off in traffic leads to more of that kind of behavior, and I probably even start to escalate it. My throwing, spewing vitriol over a social media post, even my uh, cringing and gritting my teeth and muttering under my breath when I hear somebody was kind of pulling for that particular political party or that one or this, all the anger as I express it, and this is a dicey thing to say because honesty and openness and actually dealing with your stuff is important. But allowing yourself to live in this kind of anger, what we know is it doesn't subside, it multiplies. That self-control, actually, the walls of self-control make your life better. Your happiness increases and the anger dissipates. It's an important notion, an important idea. As we kind of go down through the final thoughts of this message, I'd like to take you to a little book called Titus. Titus, here in uh, the back half of the New Testament, You'll, if you find it in your leather Bible, some of you will be finding it on your electronic devices, and that's all fine, but those of us with leather Bibles think you're cheating. No, no, you find it there, Titus. It's, if, you, if you land in Revelation, take a left, you've gone too far. You'll find it kind of right after a couple of books with Timothy's name on it, as Paul speaks to Titus and tells him how he ought to teach. And in the second chapter, there's this interesting group of verses, chapter two, verse one. When you teach, teach the older, in verse two, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, and self-controlled. Teach self-control. Build up the city walls. Teach self-control to the older men. Well, what about the older women? Verse three, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They then can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. Yeah, same thing, actually, teach the, the older men, teach them self-control. Teach the older women self-control so that they can teach self-control. Well, what about the younger men? We haven't talked about them. Verse six, similarly, encourage the young men to be what? Self-controlled. So there's this notion throughout scripture, and you can find it many places, that the challenge to us is to build this wall, but we've just said we can't do it. So that's the big question, how to? How do we do this? And it goes back to this notion that self-control is a miracle. Could it be that God intends to create self-control through his spirit's presence in my life and that it is a miracle which I get to live out not because I can cause it myself but because he's willing to do it in my life? How does it happen? Here in Titus, we get the clues coming into frame in verse 11 where Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared, and I probably have some slides on here too. Uh, let me see if I can catch up to my, yeah, here's Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. In verse 12, it teaches us to say no. You've had that moment where you successfully said no to something and afterwards you were just so grateful. And you practice that, and you practice that, and sometimes we slip and fall back into a pattern. 
but this ability to teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. So what is the answer to living in self-control? The ability to say no, to refrain, to be restrained, to, to have some governor on our lives that we don't live with such regret and in such a trap. What is it? Well, Paul says, it is the grace of God appearing in us. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It is the grace of God, it is the presence of God. Could it be that to live a self-controlled life, what I need more than anything else is not for me to just buck up, to grip my teeth, set my jaw, try harder. No, no, no. What if the plan of God is, in those moments where we're struggling with self-control, that we run to him? that he has a miraculous gift that grows fruit in our lives. Could that be possible? I love this that I read. The explosive power of a new affection. Have you had it happen where you had this thing you were gonna do, you're gonna do, you're gonna, I always thought this was interesting in high school with that kid who was a natural athlete and just loved sports and then he had a girlfriend. And suddenly, some of his best friends on occasion couldn't even talk him into playing in the basketball game or the football game. Why? Because he's had this explosion of power, of a new affection. Could it be that it's like trying to wrestle a bone away from a dog sometimes for us that we, we're not, we're not going to be able to let go? Just by saying we're going to live a more self-controlled life, could it be that the answer to self-control is running to Jesus? The grace that appears. This grace that would come as a baby in a manger who would live to full adulthood expressing his long-suffering forgiveness and graces upon us, healing the sick and going to a cross. And while he could see everyone, he could see you. He could see me and he would say I've come to bring grace the grace of salvation to you and if you'll come and be in the same place as Jesus it will build up walls of self-control you men may be trying harder and harder and harder and feeling more and more of a failure but the words of Paul to Titus it is the grace of God that teaches us how to say no. You remember those passages, <clears throat> Proverbs 25, like a city walls, whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And now you've got problems from the inside and out. But you remember what we started out with, the name of the Lord. You remember, hands in, everybody. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe as the city walls crumble. If you've got difficulty in the self-control that is meant to help you live the good life of the inheritor of the kingdom of God, when those things are crumbling, run to the tower. Run to the safe place. Run to where God is. Isn't it interesting that Paul would say, I am running the race. And the race is not me somehow getting 
to be a better and better performer. The race is my getting into the tower, the strong tower, going where Jesus is. I'm going to suggest to you, it's been my experience, my best days on the subject of self-control are the days I feel closest to Jesus. He is our answer. His spirit among us, it is the answer. Possibly strange to you, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to finish today by sharing with you a little bit of Greek mythology. So, sorry about that. Hang on. Homer's the Iliad and Odyssey and so on, right? Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, there's this notion of sirens, these sirens. Now, you may think of, you know, those kinds of sirens, and I don't know if there is an actual connection to how we use that word, but the idea in Greek mythology of sirens is that there were these, these creatures that were half woman and half bird, and they sang the most beautiful songs, and they were mesmerizing, the kind of mesmerizing that you would start traveling toward it, and you'd kind of lose your will, your self-control. You could not control yourself but continuing on toward these sirens and of course they were on these islands that were surrounded by rocks so that as these songs were sung by these sirens somebody in a ship passing by would begin guiding toward it and they would crash on the rocks and they would die because they were out of control they couldn't control themselves amidst the presence of the siren so there are a couple of different stories in the midst of all of this from Homer one of them involves Odysseus, who, who wanted to hear the song but was very worried about what would happen. And this is our lives, isn't it? I want the good part of that sin, but I don't want to get trapped in it. Have you ever had that go on in your head just once? But just, just one more. All right, this is the last time, seriously. And you get further and further, and you look back and you find your... You're so far away from where you started. You're so far away from where you felt safe with Jesus. But you can't fight the allurement. You want to be able to hear the song. Well, what Odysseus decided he would do is he would put wax. He got wax to put in all of the crew members' ears so that they couldn't hear. And so they were guiding the ship. And then he had them strap him to the mast so he had no freedom to make any decision and guide toward the rocks. And sometimes that's the way we look at or think about self-control, is strap yourself down, man. Tie yourself down. You've got to take all the freedom away. There's another story that Homer tells. And this is of Orpheus. As the Argonauts, a number of ships, are going to pass by these islands with the sirens, Orpheus comes up with this plan because he has a voice and can sing and decides to sing this beautiful song out across the waters. And it is so mesmerizing that in fact the ships follow him instead of as the siren's song sings, instead of diverting and crashing on the rocks, they've come to a new passion. I don't have all that much powerfully good to say about Greek mythology. I just think it's interesting that even there, the storyteller seems to understand that avoiding the trouble comes with passionate followership of something else, not just avoidance. You want self-control? As I read scripture, the way self-control comes is by walking with Jesus. Because he's got enough control for you. 
run to the strong tower and be safe. Go where Jesus is. If you're dealing with a habit, if you're dealing with a difficulty, I know there are some mechanisms, there are, there are plans, and I, I, I say take advantage of all that, but don't be suckered into missing out on the ultimate plan of salvation, which is to go where Jesus is. Spend moments with Jesus. He's got the strong tower and he can build the rock walls. He has the self-control required in his spirit. It's no wonder, Paul says, these are not the product of your flesh. They are fruit that miraculously, almost inexplainably grow when you are connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. So Lord God, in this so what world filled with instant gratification and everybody anxious to live out their own brand of truth, where we're constantly at odds with one another, arguing with one another, pointing fingers at one another, sometimes not even a very nice finger. In the midst of it all, could you work a miracle, please? Come close. You are the God in Jesus Christ who would walk through a town and every single sick person would be healed. On the side of a hill with thousands of people, every single person would be fed. So Lord God, each of our issues are different, but your power is strong. And your love is complete. So work a miracle in us. The miracle of self-control. Build back the walls. Oh Lord God, that we would be people here known for our ability to be restrained even when provoked. To be kind around those who are violent, distrustful, and backbiting. To be able to share the truth, but always in the package of love that says, I don't care even if you disagree with me, Lord God, build up in us this spirit. We run to you. Somebody here needs to run to you right now so that they might be safe. Thank you for sharing repeatedly that your arms are nailed wide open. And so we are yours. As we experience the rays of sunshine or the goodness of a tasty dish, a word shared with a friend. May we experience the miracle of your presence. Strong tower, your name is great. In Jesus, in Jesus we praise you. Amen.